In the name of the loving, life-giving, and liberating Trinity, who is blessed Trinity. Amen. Please be seated. Okay, y'all. Don't walk away from church this morning thinking that Jesus told us not to wash our hands. <laughs> Hand washing was a completely different action in Jesus' time. And although Jesus says there is nothing that can defile by entering the body through the mouth, we all know that germs exist. But if Jesus and the Pharisees that he's addressing weren't talking about general hygiene, what were they talking about? In Jewish rabbinic practice, there's something they do which is called putting a fence around the law. As we heard in Deuteronomy, the various laws are given by God. They are good for ensuring proper living. They ensure right relationships between people and between people and God. And they were put in place to make Israel a light to other nations. We tend to look at the laws in the Old Testament and our eyes cross. But the Israelites received these laws as a gift from God. Psalm 119, the longest of all the Psalms, extols the virtues of the law given by God. It is a delight to the eyes and a pathway for the feet. So there arose a practice by Jesus' time of putting a fence around the law. And what this meant was that teachers of the law intensified the requirements of the law to make it nearly impossible to transgress and to spread holiness further into their daily lives. So this teaching about washing your hands before a meal is an example of bringing holiness into their daily lives. In the law, priests are required to wash their hands before they serve in the temple so that they may be holy as they serve in a holy place. This was not hygienic, but ritualistic. Some rabbis observed this commandment in the law and prescribed that all should wash their hands before a meal in order to bring this aspect of their daily lives into the sacred. It's similar to how we might pray before a meal. So the practice began with good intent. What is important to note is that although our text from Mark speaks in absolutes, not all Jews would have practiced the washing of hands before meals. So though Mark tells us that the Pharisees and all the Jews wash their hands before a meal, that simply wasn't true. And this distinction, the fact that not everyone observed this tradition that had been established, really is important to Jesus' point. To understand the nuance, we need to hear Jesus' explanation of what he means by saying, you abandon the commandment of God and hold to human tradition. The lectionary skips over the next verses and does us a disservice by doing so. In verses 9 through 13, Jesus explains further by giving another example. The law states that we are to honor our father and our mother. 
This is one of the Ten Commandments, so it should be familiar to us. But apparently, it had become a practice in Jesus' time to deny financial or material support to a mother or a father by claiming that they had nothing left to give. All that they would have given in support of their parents had been dedicated to the temple. So by taking their commitment to the temple so seriously and to such a great extent, Jesus told them that they had altogether excluded the possibility of honoring their father and their mother. The fence that they put up around giving prevented them from honoring their parents. Because Jesus' concern is our relationships. The law given in the Old Testament reflects this same concern. From the very beginning, God has wanted us to live in right relationship with God and in right relationship with each other. We are to love God and love our neighbors. Jesus tells us that the whole law boils down to these two commands. So when we put a fence around the law that knocks us out of right relationship with each other or with God, that's a problem. If we return to the washing of hands, I think it became a problem in their time, not because certain teachers wanted to make the ordinary sacred, but because the washing of hands at certain times was then used as a litmus test to exclude others. You can see how these, you can see it in how these teachers approach Jesus. Why aren't your disciples doing this? This practice had been devised as a faithful response to the law, and it was useful for many in their personal piety. But even though it was useful and good, it came to be used to test others' faithfulness. And this is where we fail. This is where it's easy to be just like this group of Pharisees. How might our own practices become codified in such a way that we lose sight of actually loving our neighbor? We are no different from our Jewish brothers and sisters in this text. We build fences around the commandment to love God and to love our neighbor, often around a practice that has been meaningful to us. It could be around the particular words we use in worship, our favorite hymns or songs. We might have built fences around particular understandings of our Christianity. All of these things are steeped in tradition and meaning. They have been good and useful and gorgeous. But if something, anything, keeps us from fully loving our neighbor, then perhaps it's time to enter discernment about how it could be better. And I don't want you to hear me as throwing out the baby with bathwater. Our worship and theology, even the Pharisees seeking to make a meal sacred with the washing of hands, all of these are noble pursuits. It's only when these actions become a hindrance to loving our neighbor that the trouble starts. And it's not always easy to see when that line has been crossed. That's why it's so important to listen to each other, 
to honor each other in our gatherings, to hear how someone might feel excluded, and to take that person's feelings seriously. It's only in learning to listen well that we can learn when our fences have become barriers rather than guideposts for properly loving God and loving our neighbors. And none of this is to say that Jesus was tossing out the law as it had been handed to the Israelites. The core of the law, love God and love your neighbors, will always be true. A final thought. We hear in the epistle of James about being doers of the word and not hearers only. The word is often synonymous with the law, as we can see it is here when James further clarifies that instead of looking at ourselves in the mirror, we should gaze into the perfect law of liberty and thus be transformed into those who do and don't just hear. I'm captivated by that image of gazing into the law because the law of God is not a dead, boring thing. I mentioned that word and law are often synonymous. And who else is called the word of God in scripture? Jesus. Jesus is the living and active word of God. So gazing into the law is like gazing into the eyes of Jesus, being transformed by the love that he gives. Because the thing is, Though our fences are helpful to us, we will never be able to strong-arm ourselves into properly loving God and loving our neighbor. That love is first fed by the love of God. So gazing into the eyes of the Word of God, into the eyes of Jesus, is how we are transformed into a people who love God and love our neighbors. The spring of life does not come from within us, but from God, who first gave us God's image, who first gave us life, who first gave us love. Our practices will often help us focus on God, but it is God who transforms us through a sustained relationship with God and with each other. So let us take this caution from the Pharisees that anything which keeps us from loving God and loving our neighbors has become unhelpful. And also listen to James, who encourages us to stare into the eyes of the word of God and be transformed by the God in whose image we are made. God will transform us if we trust God to do so. Amen.